Any questions about, I've got like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah, and, and, and so at Doxa, and I'm going to pull off and just say in Doxa, we see, all, we see a missional community as the primary organizing structure for making disciples in the church. And the reason why is because I don't know how to get life on life. Oops. Sorry, I can spell. Life on life. Life in community. And life on mission. Happening on Sunday. So for us, we see... We see that the, the best way to do that is in a missional community. And for us, just to be clear, a missional community is not a weekly meeting. It's a people who are learning how to live like family during the week, show the kingdom of God in tangible forms of servants of the king, and be missionaries who make disciples and make disciples of a people group. And so I, I'm with my, I see my missional community three or four times a week. Not all of them together. It's not a big a communism amoeba, but I interact with the different people that way. Uh, so that's where most of our experiential training happens. Our formal training for that happens on Sunday at DOXA. And the reason why is because I'm trying to keep everybody freed up the rest of the week. We told them Monday through Saturday is your mission field. Sunday is your training ground. So we're training you for the mission of, of every day on Sunday. So that's how we do that. How we're working with the other churches is we're saying, okay, what kinds of key training events should we do together as a whole? Which stuff will some of us take that will invite other churches to do? So when I do my training for my leaders, it's open to all of their leaders, vice versa. So we're promoting all of our stuff to all the churches saying, you're welcome to come anytime you want. You can sit in on our training. Uh, we can sit in on your training. And so we're just trying to make all of our stuff available to the church, Big C, not just to our church. And that's just starting to happen. We're also talking about how do we share offices together. So as we're bleeding into each other's area, it might be better for one of my staff members who lives closer to your church building to staff with you, or office with you. So that way they don't have to drive across the city when they could just as well meet in your building. So how do we share office space? Uh, so, I mean, it's tripping lots of other dominoes. Of course, how do we plant churches together? That's going to require funding together, affirming together, commissioning together. Um, how do we make sure when we plant a church, there's group people from two or three churches joining that core? Uh, just all that stuff is, is starting to be tripped in the conversation now. So, yeah. It's easier for me on student ministry because we're just trying to figure out the, the kids ministry was the new idea that just came to us. But the kids, the student ministry, we've basically said uh, we have three convictions about students. One, students are the church if they're regenerate. You know, are, you might, some of you might be, um, if you're Presbyterian, you, you believe that as they're baptized, they are. And I mean, we treat them like that as when they're kids too. We dedicate our kids. Some would just say that's a dry baptism. But um, anyway, we can talk about that later. Uh, so we raise our kids to be part of the church. Uh, and that's a real strong conviction. Youth are the church. Uh, second, parents are the primary disciplers of youth. Third, all, all discipleship should be intergenerational at some point. So that informs how we do our youth ministry, which means... All of our youth, we want to, um, 
We want to honor their parents and their parents' desires for them and their equipping so their parents are a key part of the discipleship planning of their life unless they have unbelieving parents and then we step in as parents in that sense for them. Um, <clears throat> they all need to have uh, be in a missional community and in many cases those missional communities' mission is their high school or middle school or young life or sports event or something that the youth are actually going to be on mission to and, a lot, and that's older people with them. It's not just kids. So that's the intergenerational part that it's uh, adults with students on mission with the students to their campus. Uh, that's my kids. We're doing that with them. And that also includes them all getting in what we call an MDNA group, a mentor DNA group. And that's that triad. So an adult male with three teenage boys, an adult female with three teenage girls. I was in youth ministry for 14 years. The biggest thing for every youth pastor is not did you great, do great events, but rather do you have great mentoring and discipleship. And that's the goal for every youth pastor is to get enough adults to student ratio so that every student gets discipled. So that's how we do our student ministries. So my kids, youth ministry is our mission of community reaching their school with them. And then they have a, adult um, female and male who are doing their, their DNA groups with them so that they're getting more than just their parents in their, in their mentoring and discipleship. So that's how we do it. And then we're working with another church right now to put on bigger events because kids still love to have the big party and the big event. We're saying, why would we have a bunch of separate youth pastors all pull off their own event in their own church? Why would we just like maybe support one or two that pull it off for the whole city and bring our youth together since they're on mission in the same school, it would make more sense to have them work together versus being separated all the time to their own individual churches. So we're trying to head down that road. We're just starting it. See how it goes. That, that alone is a great way to unify the church. And I, I did that years ago as a youth pastor. I started a youth ministry. It grew very large. It outgrew our building. And thankfully, the, the church down the street. So I was in a reformed church, and that was a Nazarene church. And if you know much about the theological spectrum, those are two extremes. And um, the, my pastor was praying with their pastor about revival in the city. And that pastor said, we have a building but no youth pastor. You have a youth pastor and no building. We put the two together, Christian Reformed Church and a Nazarene Church. I was the youth pastor for both. And we met in their building. And I mean, you want to talk about God doing a miraculous thing. We went from like 50 kids to 350 kids in like a year and a half. Just, I think it was just God saying, yes, that's what I want. And so it was really cool. So I want to see the same thing happen in my city again. So. I just haven't worked with any churches that don't want to. So if they don't want to, I don't force it. So I just say, who wants to? It's like when I was sharing the vision I just gave you guys over a meal with one of the key pastors in our city, at one point he said, Jeff, we're not just on the same page, we're in the same sentence. My staff are your staff. I said, all right, let's figure this out. So, but I, if, if I met with someone else and said, I'm just not really interested, I would say, okay, well, if you ever are, let me know. And then I'm just gonna go with the ones who are and eventually I think it'll be a big, beautiful picture of the kingdom and people will want to be a part of it as it grows. Trying to get too many on the same page too, too quickly usually destroys the whole thing for my observation. Because you, you, then you have too many arguments that you don't really need to have. So I'm trying to find the people who, when I met around key leaders in the city, they said, man, I don't know if I'm into that, but I'd tell you who would be. I found out who those people are and that's who I'm meeting with. And thankfully, they happen to be the most influential leaders. So like in the, in the African-American community, they all kept saying, Harvey Drake, Harvey Drake, Harvey Drake. So I'm like, okay, I need to meet with Harvey. So I met with Harvey, and little did I know, he's got the most, probably the, some of the greatest trust in the entire city of Seattle. 
I mean, the mayor just brought him in because uh, he, he and his church, they're not very big, 150 people, but what they're doing is so big, it's take the notice of the city because they're bringing transformation to public schools. Their people are just working in the school system. And, and I met with Harvey and I said, you know, he, he said, hey, Jeff, just so you know, Jeff, just met with the mayor. The mayor said, we did 10 years of educational reform. It didn't work. So we're asking you, Harvey, if you help us figure it out. So here's a pastor sitting with the mayor of the Seattle, city of Seattle, which if you know Seattle at all, like that is crazy. It's so liberal and anti-church. Yeah, so like, yeah, it's so little Christian. And so Harvey's at the table talking about educational reform and what's at the center of it? The church. So as I was sharing this vision with Harvey, he's like, he goes, he goes hey Jeff, just like that other pastor, I'm in the same sentence, let's get to work. And then here's what was cool. Harvey said, my biggest concern about, and this is from him. He said, one of my biggest concerns about the church, and he's referring especially to the, his context, he said, is that we've thrown away the gospel for social justice and we cannot do it because that's the only thing that's gonna change the world is Jesus Christ. And I said, amen, brother, let's get to work. And so, and then he said, and this is, speak about the racial issue that we've got in front of us. He said, Jeff, I wanna invite you in and you need to confront some of the African-American pastors. I said, brother, you know what, what we're dealing with right now that is not a wise move he goes it will be if I bring you in because they need to hear from you and I will tell them to listen I'm like okay brother but I'm an idiot on this stuff like like, I'm gonna say stuff I'm gonna regret and you're gonna have to correct me he goes I'll be with you man let's do it together and I'm like this is gonna be a beautiful picture of the kingdom Harvey and I working together to see that the, the city transformed and I believe it's gonna break down those the all the barriers I mean what we prayed at lunch those, those racial ethnic barriers are not going to get broken down unless we partner together as brothers and sisters in the gospel. That's what's going to show the world that this is a different, a different day and the church can lead the way in what this looks like. So, yeah, so I'm working with those who are ready to go, trusting others will get there. So what's interesting is usually it's the smaller churches that are ready to partner, not the big ones. So I'm fine with that. Because I think they feel more desperate, like we need each other. And unfortunately, some of the bigger churches can, and I'm not saying to be negative against anybody in the room, but sometimes as bigger churches, we can think we don't need anybody because we got it all figured out. And I think that's arrogance and it's preventing us from reaching our cities. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, my, the people that I have that I'm ministering to, most of them are working, you know, they're working for Amazon or Microsoft. Or, I mean, they're, they're working 70 hours a week, probably, 60 to 70 hours, pretty minimally. And um, so they, they all tell me they're too busy. But what I always find is they make it to Seahawk games. They go see movies. They have no problem to go and shopping. Like, they make time for what, what they value. And, um, and then what I thought is really funny is they'll still say, hey, I really miss having Bible studies with people. And I'm like, okay, you don't have time to be at Sunday because of football, time to go to coffee with a couple guys once a week, and time to be in a mission community on mission, but you want a Bible study. Help me understand what you want. So what they're doing, though, is they've learned how to live a Christian, a culturally acceptable Christian life that a Bible study seems to feel like the right thing because it's their memory. Like it's the historical memory is to get together and do a Bible study. Some of you guys are going like, what's he talking about? I thought Bible studies were great. I'm not anti-Bible study. But in my context, a Bible study means sit around and talk about the Bible and do nothing about it. Right, that's what it means, and so, so if I found it to be a, it's 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 a kind of like a false right sense of righteousness uh, for most Christians. They feel better when they talk about the Bible, even if they won't obey it. And, and so what I've encouraged them to do is, if you have time for a Bible study, could we take the time for a Bible study and put it into Bible practice time? 
So if you would study, get into a Bible study for two hours, could we try two hours of practicing the Bible together in a DNA group or on a mission with your neighbors? And can we teach you how to do that? If they don't want to do that, at that point, they probably will find, in my case, they probably find another church uh, because we just keep beating the drum on, we're calling you to be disciples who make disciples. So, but a, a Bible study can be a great Trojan horse to get them there. And usually how I use a Bible study to get them there is I just say, what I want you to do in your Bible says, I want you to talk about what does this say about who God is, what he's done, and who we are? Those are the three questions. And then if we believed it, what would we do? And the key answer is not what would I do, but what would we do? Because most of the Bible is not meant for personal application, but most Christians have only learned how to personally apply it. It was meant for communal application. It was meant for a community to obey together so I'll, I'll just say, what would we do if we believe this? And, and I'm not making that up, right? You know, the majority of the Bible is written to a community. It wasn't written to a person. Pastoral letters were written to a person, of course, but that was how to lead a community. So it's all meant to be obeyed in community, not just obeyed in isolation. So I say, what would, how would we obey it together and how would we obey it on mission? So those are the two questions I add to a Bible study and just keep pushing them. Now you got to get leaders to know how to ask those questions because Christians are so good at saying, well, this is what I do. No, 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 stop. What would we do? This is talking about caring for orphans and widows. What are we going to do about that? We're studying James. Okay, what do, do we know any orphans or widows? Do we know anybody who doesn't feel like they have a family? Anybody who feels like they've been abandoned? Anybody in our neighborhood who feels lonely? Like, do we know anybody like that? What would we do if we were going to care for them together? And what would we do if we did it on mission, meaning to the lost? Let's obey the Bible that way. So that's a great way to take a Bible study and turn it into a missional community. Because if they keep doing that, it will become a missional community. That will be the outcome. And that's what the Bible is meant to do. It's supposed to create a missional community or a gospel community on mission or whatever you want to call it. But the people of God on the mission of God in everyday life. So that's how I do that. Does that help? Yeah. By the way, some of you are going like, I'm talking a lot about the practices. You can't get to gospel saturation unless you get this kind of stuff down. I mean, that's the reality of it. It's, it won't happen if we just do events. And um, I've seen plenty of citywide evangelistic crusades that go nowhere in terms of gospel saturation. It makes a splash for a moment, and then the ripples fade away, and people, it didn't change the city. It just doesn't work. And I'm an evangelist. I love seeing people cross the line of faith. I love baptizing new believers. But I just know evangelism alone will never, ever change a city. You've got to make disciples who make disciples. So, all right. Anything else before I end here? I think I've got five minutes. We ideally like to see the DNA group made up of the people who are in a missional community. So, for instance, when you have three guys that are on mission together, and they're married, and they, so their three wives are in DNA. The guys are in DNA, the girls are in DNA, and the girls are going, my marriage is horrible, and the guys are going, my marriage is awesome. <laughs> Happens. And then they get into the missional community, and they're like, that's your husband, right? Can we talk right now? Because we need to get after these issues. And so what happens, that's why I'm, I, I get really leery of men's and women's ministry unless it's equipping them for ministry. Because what happens is you keep dividing them up and you have no idea their marriage is falling apart because you're never together with each other. And so the, the collision of those two is really important, ideally. Now, it doesn't always work that way. You know, I've got, we've got one woman in our, my wife's DNA group who's from another missional community. But that's because she doesn't have enough mature women yet in that group because they're all brand new Christians. So we're helping her for a season. 
So we, we have people in a missional community that are living life together like family. So when they come to faith in Jesus, they're usually coming through the form of a missional community. So they're already a part of a family. So the accountability is built right in. I mean, I don't hardly have anybody that's come to faith in our church that isn't already assimilated before they come into faith. So like, unfortunately, when you make church only about Sunday, then when they come to faith through Sunday, you got to try and get them connected in community. When they come to faith through a community all week long, and then maybe it's on Sunday that they profess their faith through baptism, now they have a bigger family, but they were already part of a family before they came to faith. So that's a big part of the strategy for us is that the MC becomes that. And then you just heard us talking about DNA. It might be three guys that are now getting together to go even deeper after addiction issues, porn issues, marriage issues, you name it. And they're doing what we call DNA, which for us that's discover, and we just go, we just study the word together and ask those four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we and how do we live? Nurture, which is basically repent and believe. So where have you not been submitting to God and not believing the truth? And what, how would you believe the gospel? And then act, which is what are you gonna do and who are you gonna tell? So we try to do that every week. Like, we're studying Mark together. What, what, did you answer the questions? What did God show you? What's wrong in your heart? Where are you falling into sin? Okay, let's speak the gospel in that area, call you to repent and believe the gospel. And now what are you gonna do differently in light of your repentance and who are you gonna go tell about that? And the reason why we put tell in there is because that teaches them how to start sharing the gospel. Because they start sharing how the gospel led them to repentance, which means they grow, grow better in their own gospel fluency every time they have to tell someone about what God did through the gospel. So that's, we try to see those meet once a week. My wife does, she does hers on Monday night for two hours, two or two and a half hours. And I, you know, with that question about people um, being busy, my mission of community has people in three different cities that drive up to an hour just for their DNA group. Now we're hoping they're gonna move, but they're so committed to discipleship that they're willing to drive for it. And what I found is people will drive for discipleship if they're committed as far as they will for work and, and pleasure. So how far will they drive to a movie, to shopping, to restaurants? That will tell you about how far they'll drive in your context for disciple making. Uh, and if they won't, then they value those things way more than they value Jesus. So, and that's something you'll have to talk to them about at some point. So, yeah, we used to feel like you had to multiply everything. And then we realized that DNA might be the slowest to multiply because it's probably the deepest of relationships that you don't want to just rip apart. Uh, so we do that more in line with the mission. So if they send out a group of people to start a new missional community, then at some point those DNAs will have to get reformed. But for a season, they might stay together for that process of letting go. So we're a little slower to multiply DNAs than we would probably the MC uh, because the MC is likely not nearly as tight as the DNA. So just the tighter the relationship, the slower to the multiplication. And we were almost like rigid, like everything's got to multiply because it's always healthy if it multiplies. And then you're like, yeah, but they're, the thing they got going on right there is producing tons of discipleship work in the missional community and it's going out to the ends of the earth. And sometimes those DNA groups will actually, if they're strong, like say three really strong women, you'll find that each one of them will take another two set of women in their missional community and start another DNA group uh, for discipleship of new believers. So that's, I've seen that happen too where they literally want to have both. And people just make time for it when they really care about it. That's, I've been amazed at how much busy people can make time for disciple making when they really care. 
And it's, it's ridiculous. I've, whenever people tell me people are too busy, I'm just like, no, they just don't care. They just don't care. And I'm, I'm not trying to shame them. I'm just saying, I know people aren't too busy. They're too busy for this, but that doesn't mean they're too busy because they have the same hours I've got. And I do this and I travel, you know? So, so anyway, by the way, side note, leaders in the church don't make mission in your neighborhood or disciple making and accountability or whatever you want to call it. For me, it's missional community and DNA groups. Don't make that part of your job. So when, when you get in trouble and you're like, well, I do my DNA group during my work hours and I do my missional community, you know, now, except for those who are planting, parachuting in and your whole job is starting a church and so everything is the mission. But eventually, if you don't make it your extra hours, like in the evening and on the weekend, you have no credibility to call people who are working all day long, all week long to the same thing you're doing. So I do all my missional community life and DNA life outside of my 50 hours a week for the church. I don't count that as part of that work. That way I can sit down with someone who works at Boeing or Microsoft and say, hey, I've got the same life you do and I do it. And here's how I work it out. So, so it gives you credibility with the people you're leading when you do that. Um, and I'll just end with that. If you want gospel saturation to happen, you've got to lead it in such a way that the people in your church that don't get paid to do ministry could do it. Like you've heard me say that, but I just want to say it again. If, if you're expecting them to do something only paid pastors can do, you'll never see this go to your city. You, they've got to be able to do it in the middle of their life. Uh, and even back to the question about DNA, I don't know if it was you asked, but uh, that for me is like, hey, sometimes you guys got to do DNA on the Microsoft campus at, at, in the lunchroom because that's what your life is. Your life is at Microsoft. And it's a whole world if you've ever been there. It's like going to the mall. Uh, so, so like do it there. Don't try to add more to it. Just do it in the context you're already living. Um, for me, sometimes DNA group happens in the football stands while I'm watching my son play football, you know, because that's part of our mission field. So we're up there, he's playing, I'm hanging out with the guys. We're talking about each other's lives and hearts because sometimes that week didn't go well. We couldn't fit it in at a normal time. But we're watching a football game because that's where we go to mission. And that's my, my mission field for our, our mission community is the football team and uh, Lake Washington High School. So that's where I put a lot of my time with my mission community. So sometimes we're overlapping disciple-making in the, in the everyday stuff of life. Which, by the way, if you do that, you'll train people how to make disciples on the fly. Most people don't know how to do it unless it's a perfectly controlled, quiet environment. And that's just not life. And so, like, we have kids running around in our mission community. We're speaking the love of Jesus into each other. Kids running in. Hey, Dad, I need this. Hey, we're praying right now, buddy. Okay. Go back out, come back, you know? Or sometimes they join in and they're, we'll pray with you. And they lay hands on adults and we're praying over adults. And so they're in the middle of the mission field and it's a stinking mess, just to be clear. And I would tell you, that's probably a sign you're on mission. If it's not messy, you probably, you probably just ordered and structured the mission right out of the church. But if you're on mission, it will be messy. And that's part of what you have to train your people is to learn how to make disciples in the middle of the mess of everyday life. And that's how you're going to do saturation. So thank you very much. It's good to be with you.